Welcome to the Saturday Night South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Kyle Kara. Marler, debates down south. We have a debate that you initially shot down. 1956 Heisman, you were not all about it when I first no. brought it up. I mean, let's be clear. I'm not, I'm still not all about it. Um, it's because it's just it's an interest. It gets kind of interesting. It, it well, it is interesting. We're gonna make it. It does interesting. get interesting. Yeah. Yes, it is. It just I don't like looking up stuff. It just makes me mad. Actually, that's not true. I do that a lot. No, it's so, the best. <laughs> but like, but like I hate. So I hate, as most of you guys know. Welcome in. Happy Tuesday. I hate Notre Dame with a passion, and this has a lot to do with Notre Dame and their their just the Notre Dame privilege and the the Golden Dome and all that kind of stuff and the how much weight that really carries in the world of college football. We talked about it a lot, I feel like. We talked about in other Heisman ceremony stuff, or we t- like the Troy Smith thing and, and kind of like how like the media plays a huge factor into it, but also talked about it like a national championship stuff. I just hate Notre Dame. And this has not helped me in my, my hate for them. If you hate Notre Dame, yeah. you don't have to be a Tennessee fan. This is the podcast for you because we are going to get a lot of things out that are really going to feed into that. Yeah. Now, one of the reasons that we want to do this podcast, of course, the late Johnny Majors, the former Tennessee player and coach who passed away last week at the age of 85, somebody who meant so, so much to the Tennessee program and is up there. See, right now we're having this conversation, like very rough, you know, argument, not, not really like digging into it as much, but in terms of the player-coach combinations all-time. Spurrier's ahead of him. Yeah. I'm not sure there are many others who are. You'd have to give me a list. I don't I mean. Right, exactly. Can't think there of are, two. <laughs> there are not many players who yeah. have gone on to become Hall of, Fame, Hall of Fame coaches and players who have finished as Heisman finalists, all those different things. Johnny Majors is up there in that category for sure. So, Today we are specifically focusing on the 1956 Heisman Trophy, his senior season at Tennessee, and we are having this debate because it's one that's been had, and not so much a debate, more of a a sentence laced with a few expletives that has been muttered in Tennessee households for over half a century. Why has that been the case? Well, as you kind of circled around earlier with your hatred of Notre Dame boiling over... Paul Horning won the Heisman Trophy. 1956, he wins this award. Now, he won this award not in the way that you would think of a do-it-all player. Yes, you know know him by the the name of the award and all those things. But if you've ever looked back at what his numbers were during this Heisman season... Uh, Don't don't say the numbers yet. Don't say the numbers yet. Okay. Well, I mean, okay. When do you want me to say the numbers? When After I, I want to read time? this. I want to read this first, and then I want Fire you to away. say the numbers. Okay. So this is and it's important, and I because I, I agree with you, but it's like you guys. So we obviously did a lot of research on this, and and one of our favorite sites that we both found it was like uhnd.com. I don't even know what that means. I know it has something to do with Notre Dame, right? And this is this is an actual sentence about Paul Horning. Okay. Horning. 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 There we Paul go. Horning, for the season. Horning led the team in rushing, passing, scoring, punting, total offense, field goal kicking, uh, kickoff return average, and minutes played while coming second in tackles. Go on. Okay, yeah. That was that was all stuff that we were going to get out there as yes. well. Um, it's a debate because his numbers were terrible. He was a quarterback who on the season was 59 of 111, 
pass attempts for 917 passing yards. Oh, by the way, three touchdown passes, 13 interceptions. Oh, I bet he was a great runner as a quarterback then, right? He ran for 420 yards and six touchdowns. Okay, the interception. The interception numbers. It uh, what was it like ninety something? I it can't was, remember the it, exact. Number. It came to like right around four yards per carry. So yeah, so not, not quite great. three. Not <laughs> yeah. three yards in a cloud of dust, but a little bit better than that. Yeah. But the interception thing, I can't get over because thirteen interceptions and hundred eleven pass attempts. We've talked about this a lot and how like. Ball security just apparently wasn't a thing didn't back care. then. Just didn't, didn't care. Didn't matter. Just, you want the ball? You want the ball? You, you can have it. Um, he threw an interception once every 8.5 passes. Joe Burrow. <laughs> Joe Burrow, the guy who won that Heisman Trophy this past year, who was in the same club as Paul Horning. And there's probably people on this earth who think that Paul Horning is a better football player than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow threw yeah. an interception once every 86 passes in his career. Different he offense, one every Connor. 8.5. It's right, different offense. You, you don't get you don't get it because like what Horning did was something we'd never we'd never seen. I don't. I, there's no. I don't even know how you defend it. Okay, so it gets worse. Just in case you didn't think that was bad enough, and you're like, ah, it's probably some Troy Smith thing, where maybe we just kind of overlooked the numbers, and he played for a really good team. No, 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 no. no, no, no. You would think. You would think he did. One would think. Paul Horning is the first and only, still to this day, player to win the Heisman Trophy while playing for a losing team. Now, Hmm. it gets worse, dare I say, because Paul Horning's Notre Dame team was two and eight. Two and eight, Connor. Two and eight. They were two and eight. Here's what amazes me about this whole thing, is like, I I do have a, this, this, it bothers me when I look at college ball history and I'm like, I've said this before, like, you know, who's better, Bo or Herschel? And I'm like, I don't know. They're they're the top two, but why is Marcus Dupree not get more love? Or there's there's other things that you can look at where it's like, this team was the best team in the country, and this team got all the, all the hype, and they won for whatever reason. Sure. There's, there's Bama teams that won, quote-unquote, national championships and finished 20th in the polls. 1941? And there it is. And there's so much of these, like, blue blood privilege that you get from a lot of these programs Notre Dame there's none more than Notre Dame and this season you're thinking like 50s yeah maybe Notre Dame must have all they were always good back then two and eight he threw 13 interceptions to three touchdowns like I remember looking at Ty Detmer's numbers and maybe this seems to be what this this entire podcast becomes it's just a like I don't know like a Michael Moore truth expedition where we just ruffle feathers (laughs) and knock on doors and hate people and we're like you should have won the Heisman, Ty Detmer. And he's like, why? I had 41 touchdowns. and tw- I was like, well, you had 29 interceptions. But Paul Horning, he, he doesn't look like he's in great health. I, I, I'm still not afraid to say it. You didn't deserve to win the Heisman, Paul. It's not even close. Paul Horning became Notre Dame's fifth Heisman Trophy winner in 14 years. He became and, a oh, legend. Oh, by the way. Yeah, legend, legend. And, and we'll get into the the dynamics of, of what what was at play, why he won, besides just, oh, he went to Notre Dame. Because there's a little bit more. There's a little sure. bit more to it. I'm not saying it's justified, but I'm saying there's a little bit more to it. The two games that his Notre Dame team won that year. Oh, yeah, can, this is good. Can, can you name them? Indiana, North Carolina. Oh, yeah, a couple of basketball schools, which as an Indiana, as an Indiana grad, let me be the first to say that Indiana football in the mid-1950s was just as I, bad as it was for, uh, for pretty much the entire 20th century. For the entire time besides when Antoine Randall was there. I mean, uh, they, were still, they were still pretty bad then, too. I, it's also true. 
Anthony it, Thompson was better. Yeah. It's just it amazes me that we're looking at this and it's like we every time if you hear Paul Horning to this day, you're like, first off, I don't know that's how you pronounce his name, because I didn't know that until twelve minutes ago when Connor had to tell me. <laughs> but when you hear when you hear his name, you're like, Oh yeah, he's one of the greatest football players of all time. He's a famous, famous football player. Played the NFL with the Packers, won a Heisen. There's a damn award named after him that our buddy Lynn Bowden Lynn Bowden won last year. You almost you almost thought you said, said I almost that thought I said that because I'm so mad about the horning thing. Yeah. It is it is utterly mind blowing to me that this this was allowed to happen. And if you like we'll go through the whole list of players, but it's just it's crazy to me like like the Ty Detmer thing, I got so mad about that. I was like, he threw twenty nine interceptions. Paul Horning threw thirteen. And, and only three touchdowns. Yes. How is that yeah. possible? This was, at the time, the second closest finish ever in the Heisman with Johnny Majors finishing second. It is currently number seven on that list in terms of the closest Heisman finishes ever. Many Tennessee fans and those outside Tennessee felt that Johnny Majors was indeed robbed and they still feel that way because that year he had 549 rushing yards, 552 passing, yard, passing yards, and 12 total touchdowns. He had 1,101 scrimmage yards. He actually averaged 9.4 yards in his 59 passing attempts. And unlike Paul Horning, he was a 61% passer. Yeah. So you got to understand, too, he's playing the single wing position, uh, the single wing tailback position, which the snap goes directly to him. Right. So you, you have to be that do-it-all type person. And at 165 pounds, Johnny Majors was the do-it-all sort of guy. So... We have a lot of stuff to get into with this where we're going to get even more heated and talk about some of the biases and talk about why this happened the way that it did so and what's so frustrating about it. Before we do all of that, Marler, our friends at Bet Online, tell us about them. Guys, get over to betonline.ag today. We are going to have a football season. We're going to have a basketball season, apparently 24 Amen. teams in Orlando. Uh, it looks like we're going to have a baseball season. Stop saying that. Stop okay, trying to hold it into I saw existence. Today. All right. I wish. Um, we're also going to be having, uh, I mean, regardless of all the seasons, you can bet on Korean baseball right now. Have you bet on Korean baseball yet, Connor? It's up there at the top of the to-do list, but I yeah. haven't got to it just yet. They're putting stuffed animals in the stands to look pretty like boss. fans. It's pretty boss move. So go bet on some Korean baseball, bet on some Asian tennis, or do what I've been doing. Head over to the poker tables and just take some poor saps money. It's been fantastic for me. Uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. But go over to betonline.ag today so you can make some money as well. What people said at the time about this discussion. Go back to October 29th, 1956. Sports Illustrated comes out with this cover. That's unreal. It's got Paul Horning on it. And it looks every bit like his nickname, which is the Golden, Golden Boy. Boy. Yeah. You could say it with that voice as well. Not mentioned in this Sports Illustrated cover is the fact that Notre Dame actually got off to a 1-4 start. Two days before this happened... Paul Horning's Notre Dame squad lost 40 to nothing at home against Oklahoma. They were in the midst of a five-game oh, losing streak in which they got up. I think that's incorrect, sir. I think they had not lost that game yet. I think they had lost 47 to 14 to Michigan State. And then at that was the week before. And then after this this uh, the cover came out, they lost 40 to nothing to Oklahoma. Oh, I thought the I thought the game was played on October 27th, and the cover was October 29th. I mean, you could be right. I'm just saying. Either way, this is a either way. Yeah, bad, bad, very, very bad, <laughs> real bad. 
So obviously, like that, you make that decision to do that in the middle of the season. That's like a preseason deal where you did like a photo shoot with him, something like that. And they're just like, you know what, we're we're running this cover no matter yeah. what. So he keep in mind at the time, Sports Illustrated obviously back then different than what it is today. Um, so a few weeks after that, Paul Horning goes to USC at USC with his Notre Dame team, and yes. he impresses the West Coast voters by scoring twenty points that day the guy who was fifth in the heisman voting as a junior he has all these things sort of working in his favor uh, a mid-season national magazine cover pretty pretty big deal yeah so i bring all that up before i i want to get i wanted to get to this and i didn't want to necessarily jump at it, jump at it from the start because it needs to be brought up in the right way mm-hmm. tony barnhart the other day our guy mr college football tweeted how Johnny Majors used to be asked all the time who he thought should have won the Heisman Trophy. And his answer was not, oh, yeah, I thought I should have won it. His answer was always Jim Brown. Jim Brown finished fifth in the Heisman Trophy. He finished behind Oklahoma's Tommy McDonald. He finished behind Oklahoma offensive lineman Jerry Tubbs. And offensive offensive lineman finished ahead of Jim Brown. There were two offensive linemen that finished in the top eight of the final voting. And I'll let you guess where they came. Oklahoma and Ohio State. The finalists came from these schools outside of Johnny Majors. Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Syracuse, Michigan, Stanford, Ohio State, Iowa, and USC. A lot of blue bloods in there. The important thing to remember, obviously, at that time, because um, as many people have been able to connect the dots from the last 30 seconds since bringing that up, oh, Jim Brown was playing football during a very racist time in our country's history where the SEC wasn't going to have a black player break the color barrier for another 11 years. That was Nate Northington at Kentucky. You didn't have... Uh, black player at Tennessee for another 12 years. You did that was Lester McLean in 19, I think it was 1967 or 68. Um, I think it was 68. In other words, a black man was not about to win a national vote to be decided as the best player in college and football. And Syracuse wasn't on national TV once every week as a as a result of that. They weren't on national TV at all this year. They were until their bowl game, which they lost. Until which the bowl didn't game, matter which anyway. Bowl games after, yeah. But regardless, I'm glad you brought that up because when you look at this and you're like, oh man, like how did this happen? Like how 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 did we allow this to happen? So that same website, maybe the website just sucks. Whoever wrote this article sucks. Um, they brought up the fact they're like, now don't get too far ahead of yourself with this whole Jim Brown thing because it wasn't like he had that. Gr- he was a great NFL running back, but wasn't oh, that no. dominant in college. And I'm like looking at his numbers even compared mm-hmm. to Johnny Majors, and I'm like, oh, you're pretty much wrong about that. He had, he had, I'll bring it up real quick. Jim Brown's numbers on the year. Don't forget um, the passing numbers, too. Don't I didn't know he had passing, passing numbers. numbers. He had, he had 76 passing yards. 158, yard, or 158 attempts, 986 yards, which that rushing set alone was to put him third most for total yards in the entire country. Uh, then he had 12, I'm sorry, 13. 13 touchdowns led everyone on the Heisman list here. It, it blows my mind that was even brought up, and somebody said it wasn't like – Yes, keep in mind that Ernie Davis won the Heisman just five years after this. So it wasn't like voters weren't voting for him just because no. he wasn't black. And I was like, nope. who is writing this? It That's, was, oh, 
Okay, so that's that's wrong on a variety of levels. Yes. That if that's if that's a, a take, which I don't think it really is, because everybody, Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, they would say. <laughs> Ernie Davis is not winning the Heisman Trophy in 1961 as a Syracuse running back, right. wearing the same exact number that Jim Brown wore, if not for Jim Brown, mm-hmm. paving the way five years earlier to at least get to get an African-American player on the map, on the national map. Because Jim Brown's numbers actually ended up being better than Ernie Davis's, if you want to do yes. that comparison as well. Jim Brown had 1,118 yards from scrimmage with 15 total touchdowns. And oh, by the way... He did that in only eight games. Right. Syracuse only played eight games that year. And you could break that down compared to Ernie Davis and be like, yeah, Jim Brown had the better overall numbers, even though Ernie Davis was a little bit more involved in, in the passing game. But it's actually incredible to think that Ernie Davis, and we've talked about the movie, you know, The Express before. The Express, yeah. And, and how well done it really was and, and how it shed some light on something that somebody, if you're growing up in our generation, you probably wouldn't know that much about and how important he was. Um, it was actually Aveda Stone who paved the way for both Jim Brown and Ernie Davis as well. So they weren't even the first black running backs at Syracuse. They right. had that before them. So it's still incredible to think that Jim Brown was, at, you know, Ernie Davis rather, was able to win the award in 1961. As for Jim Brown, legendary sports writer Dick Schapp, who was the father of Jeremy Schapp, was on Sports Reporters, if you watched that yeah. as a kid, for, for people of our jolt. generation. Yeah, yeah. Very, very animated with, yes. with his movements that he always had. Um, but very, very much a, a respected respected yeah. journalist throughout the 20th century. Said that he voted for Jim Brown in 1956, but he was so mad at the results that he refused to vote after that. Because it was blatant racism. Yeah. I mean, let's call it what it is. Uh, so, and in, in, I don't, like... I don't want to have the whole podcast be based off of, hey, this racist thing happened in 1956, because it's not that mind-blowing that that happened. No. But it's still, if you, like, like you said, look at every other person on this damn list, and they were more deserving of Paul Horning than Paul Horning. Here's the other interesting thing. College Game Day crew was asked before the start of last year to name their three best players not to win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Reese Davis was the only one who listed Johnny Majors. He also had Peyton on there, by the way. So shout out Tennessee fans. Um, But nobody on that list had Jim Brown. And ESPN, a few months later, and I realize this is a different group of people who was coming up with this, and this is the college game day group compared to, they had like a panel of 150 experts that came up with this, this list that we have talked about a lot on this podcast. But when they come out with this college football 150 list, number one is Jim Brown. So to say like, oh, Jim Brown wasn't one of the most like deserving non-Heisman winners ever, that's a different discussion. Paul Horning was number 27 on this list. The explanation that was given under Paul Horning's little blurb in that, in that College Football 150 list was the following. Horning won because Syracuse-backed Jim Brown was ignored by prejudiced voters, because Johnny Majors got injured late in the season, and because Oklahoma and Tommy McDonald and lineman Jerry Tubbs cannibalized each other's votes. Why was the lineman even involved? Their running game was really, really good. They had another back who had like 13 rushing touchdowns and like a lot of yards, like was in the top five or top ten for rushing yards as well. Finished in the top ten of the Heisman a year later. Is this the the three-year span where they went like 57-0 for Oklahoma? Yeah, they're undefeated this year. Yeah. So that makes sense a little bit more so from, from that standpoint. Let's get into one of the one of the parts that was just brought up there about um, Johnny Majors being banged up. Yeah. 
He actually, if you look at the box score, it says that he played in 10 games. It's actually more like eight because he injured his shoulder against Duke in week two. He didn't play against Chattanooga, and then he technically made it into the box score for the game against UNC, the team that Paul Horning's Notre Dame team was able to get by just barely. Um, But he didn't have any plays from scrimmage. He had a punt. That was all he did in that game. So take those two games away. He, like Jim Brown, is also sitting there with only eight games. And if you think about the fact that dude had a shoulder banged up throughout the entire year, Johnny Majors did, and was playing through it yeah. at 165 pounds, carrying the ball that much and playing both ways, all the more impressive. And honestly, 165 pounds then is pretty pretty big. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, it is. No, um, it's not. Okay, so yeah, here keep this in mind. I don't know if you knew this, but I, I remember reading about this way back in the day in this Sports Illustrated annual I bought when I was like, I don't know. You six. had so many magazines as a kid, didn't you? No, oh yeah, I love magazines. Um, but like, I, I mean, like it was like a, like a, not a farmer. It was a sports almanac. It had like every college football champion, every baseball, like every Heisman, it had like every bit of sports information ever imaginable up until 1993. It's like the and, internet on paper. It, yeah, it's, that's that's one way to put it, Connor. So. Oh, this is and this is what this is what blows my mind. Oklahoma went ten and zero in 1954. They went eleven and zero in 1955, and it's 1956 now. They're ten and zero once again. They're 31 and zero in the past three seasons. Johnny Major Zach being hurt though. Go on. It's just amazing. <laughs> this, this whole so thing that, is just amazing. And that's probably why Jerry Tubbs though was was part yeah. of this conversation. Why he. It, I mean, not that it was justified for him to finish ahead of Jim Brown, but that's why he was number four in the Heisman right. voting. The worst take that you can have about this debate besides the... Well, oh, Paul Hornung did it all for this team. That's it. That's it right there. It is, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that he deserved to win the Heisman because he did everything. Why is that a bad take? Hey, haven't we gone on this podcast before and talked about why a Tennessee player might not have been as deserving as we thought because yeah. Charles Woodson was so versatile and he did so many things and he did it all? Haven't we haven't we praised that before? Why aren't we praising that now? Well, here's the thing. Johnny Majors, pretty darn versatile. Pretty yeah. darn that was the thing. versatile. He could do everything. He could throw, he could run. He could block, he could punt, he could kick, he returned punts, he returned kicks. He was a safety in their 6-2-2-1 defense. And oh, by the way, a defense that allowed 7.5 points per game during the regular season. He had a couple of interceptions throughout his career as well. Like, what more could you want a football player to do than what Johnny Majors did? So this narrative that like, oh, Paul Horning, man, like, he just never left the field. When did Johnny Majors leave the field? I It just... Again, it's hard for me to have this conversation without, like, just stewing over the obvious, blatant prejudice. It's not, about, not even about race, but about Notre Dame football. It's just, for whatever reason, they just hold this in such high esteem. Like, yeah, he did it. But he did it for the Golden Domers. That's what he did. Who cares? It, like, every single person on here, they, they keep bringing it up. They're like, well, you know, uh, he, he did punting. He did kicking. He did this. And you're like, every single other one of these players did those things. Yes. Jim Brown, another one of those players who did all of those things, did everything. We're talking about somebody who, before we get into the football stuff, let's take a moment here to appreciate the fact that the guy had 10 varsity letters at Syracuse playing four different sports. He's better at lacrosse than he was at, at football. People say he's the best lacrosse player of all time. Yes. Pretty 
pretty darn good athlete. If Bo Jackson isn't considered the best athlete of the 20th century, a lot of people will say that it's Jim Brown because the only reason he stopped playing basketball was because of racism. Yeah. Didn't want to deal with all the stuff that they had to deal with on the road. Somebody who could have been, they said, um, in the as a he could have been like coming out of college, uh, an all American Olympic decathlete. Right. Is that how you say it? Decathlete. That's what I was struggling with. What do you think? What would the other option be? Decathlonist. Decathlonist. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. I've been trying to get you dumber on this podcast for a long time. It's finally starting to show. It happened. It has happened. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> so here's the other thing, too. So if you want to, and I realize that, like, that's other sports. We're talking yeah. about this versatility here. But on the field, I mean, he led the country. In 1955, he led the country in kickoff return average, was still returning kicks. Horning? He was, no, we're talking about Jim oh, Brown still. Okay, we're talking okay. about Jim Brown. Yeah. Jim Brown was, in 1956, also his team's place kicker. Now, his pre-Heisman game, this is an absurd thing to think about. As we've seen Johnny Manziel attempt to kick a field goal before, it doesn't always go well. doesn't always go well. I don't well. remember that. Remember that? No. He did that, I think CFL? it was... No, 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 no. He did it at Texas A&M. Oh, I, don't I think he that. did it, like, in the opener. Was it in the opener in 2013? It might have been. But he, it was like, yeah, he's, they're, they're having fun. They want, yeah. you know... It, they're playing it up. It's it's all part of this, like, hey, there's nothing he can't do type thing. Yeah. Easy to market. Totally get it. Jim Brown in his pre-Heisman game, and yes, it's against Colgate. It's the toothpaste school. Yeah. He, sco- he scored six touchdowns, and he kicked seven extra points and set an NCAA record with 43 points. And by himself. By himself. Oh, by the way, just in case you didn't think Jim Brown was on the same level as Johnny Majors, and Paul Horning because those guys played defense. Yes, Jim Brown also played defense. He had three interceptions this year. So it's just weird that you don't see that list that anywhere. And, and that's what's amazing to me too about the. And, and I will like, I'm strictly basing this off the Horning thing because I saw one thing. I was like, well, he averaged 15 yards per punt return. That is impressive. That's the most impressive stat he had as uh, his entire season. He also averaged 30 yards per kickoff return. Well, I tell you what, if you're getting beat on back-to-back weeks, 87 to 14, I'm assuming you got a lot of chances to have kickoff returns. He used to say that. He admitted it. He's like, the only reason I led the country in kickoff returns was because we kept allowing teams to score so much. Right. So I, if he's the best player on a, on a defense that's, you know, for 2-18, and 18, that just got throttled week after, after week, week, he still gets so much credit for that, though. I still don't, so I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. So... The argument of Paul Horning deserved to win because he did everything, crap argument, yes. don't make it. If your friend makes it, call him out, tell him they're dumb, and that Jim Brown and, and Johnny Majors were every bit as versatile. Yes. Okay. The thing that I didn't know slash forgot about until researching this, Notre Dame was 2-8. and eight. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. So Notre Dame being two and eight. eight. So and, and here's here's one thing because I have a I have a theory of why Horning won, and and I think it's partially because of a couple of things. One, this is a like sometimes this is like a career award, you know, as we've seen in the past. Um, mm-hmm. th- this is which I know that's got to be frustrating to Tennessee fans because it's like, well, one, I'm assuming that it's it was probably let's see here, majors was yeah everyone on the list was a senior, so maybe <laughs> maybe that's not the best way to put it. But, like, if it's a career award, Horning, he came in fifth the year before. Do you know who he finished behind? He finished behind... You want to take a guess at this name? 
No, because Doak Walker was in the 40s. He was in the that 30s. Was, I think, wasn't Doak Walker in the 40s at SMU? He was number 37. Hold on. Wasn't Heisman in 37? No, he was number 37. No, I'm saying... Shut up, Connor. You were right. Anyway, moving on. Um, that's a good stunt Marlowe there. Uh, no, so do you, do you know who he finished behind in that, that year? It's going to blow your mind. Go ahead. It really speaks to the age of, of, this, of these, these people. Oh, Hopalong Cassidy from Ohio State. I, I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Yeah, that's a real thing. Hopalong Cassidy from Ohio State was who won the Heisman Trophy the year before. Horning finished second or finished fifth behind him and was second in total yards behind him. So I think that he was the favorite going into this season. I'm assuming, and and he had these like these stories of like lore and legend where when he the USC game when he was out there he dislocated both his thumbs so he couldn't throw the ball. So he had to play halfback. Couldn't throw the ball with the thumbs either. Yes, that's so. also a really good point. But he had to play halfback, so they played halfback and instead. Of throwing, he he ran and he scored all three touchdowns. Who cares? Every single one of these, yeah. Every I can single dislocate my thumb, gross. just like Please that. Look, right I'm now. showing. I don't want to see that. Um, <laughs> but like, it's like every other person did the same things. I, I don't understand. Like, like if you look at this list, and we'll go through it real quick. Johnny Majors had 549 yards. He had 5.1 yards per carry, only seven touchdowns. Not that impressive. But when you look at how many games he actually played in, also what he did for his team, and also, oh by the way, that team finished undefeated. It's not a, it's not a award that I think should ever go to who has the who's the best player on the best team. But in this case, there were several other examples that it could have gone to for better players on better teams. Behind him, Tommy McDonald from from Oklahoma averaged 7.2 yards per carry, 12 touchdowns, 853 yards rushing. Obviously we talked about Jim Brown with the 986 yards rushing, 6.2 yards per carry and 13 touchdowns. There's a there's a one player on here who's just his position is E. Good old end. Good old end. Um, he had 18 receptions. He averaged like almost 20 yards a catch, had two touchdowns. The list goes on. You know what's interesting also is the Stanford quarterback on here. He had 12 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. Stanford was the only team throwing the ball, but they also had a losing record that year, so I yeah. didn't want to even put him into the, the discussion. Okay, so remember last week, Debates Down South, we talked about teams, 2000, Alabama and 2005 Tennessee. Teams who started off preseason number three in the country yeah. and finished the season not only unranked, but missing a bowl game altogether. That was 1956 Notre Dame. They started off number three in the country and finished unranked and missed a bowl by a mile that year, obviously. Tennessee and Syracuse, however, were unranked to start the year. That Tennessee team, 10-0 and in the regular season, Jim Brown Syracuse team, 7-1 and one in the regular season, finished the regular season on a six-game winning streak. Right. So there's that. Like, so it just it, it's not all about team success when it comes to the Heisman because sure. if we're going to make the case that Troy Smith got too much of the benefit of the doubt in 2006 when his team was given the Heisman Trophy, or when he was given the Heisman yeah. Trophy in part because he was the best player on the best team over Darren McFadden, then we can't simply be like, oh, yeah, that has to apply today. A little bit different when we're talking about like two and eight versus ten and zero. Yeah, two and eight versus seven and one. A little, little bit, a little bit. Um, other thing that I forgot, I totally forgot that Johnny Majors did not even get a sniff in the NFL. No. You had three hundred sixty guys drafted 
that year, and he wasn't what? one of them. So yeah, crazy, right? Because they had like a billion rounds. I know they had less teams, but yeah, they, what? Had, <laughs> they had less teams, but they had, they had a million rounds. Um, How did so he draft? what in the hell? Basically, it was determined he's too small. He's five ten. He's buck sixty five. Too small to make it in the NFL. Imagine having that good of a college career though, and not even getting like a fifteenth round flyer. Because there's on a fifty, him. yeah. Because there's that many. Good lord. Yeah. yeah. Go back and look at it. It's it's that's crazy. Pretty extensive. So he ends up being like, oh, I'll go to the CFL, and then nah, not really feeling it. Starts his coaching career. Gets his start at Tennessee. He's a GA at Tennessee, and the rest is sort of history and right. what he was able to do at the likes of Iowa State and Tennessee and Pitt and Tennessee. Like all, well, I guess I messed up the order there, but yeah. two different stints at Pitt as well. Other thing I forgot, speaking of his, his coaching exploits, his coaching tree was crazy oh, deep. 33 deep. 33 coaches who were assistants under him who went on to become head coaches at either the college level or the professional level. Shout out to Chris Lowe for making me realize that he is back from vacation and he wrote a great piece about the late Johnny Majors. Some of the names on this list are darn good. I mean, it's like Bear Bryant probably has the best coaching tree of all time. It's probably going to be up there, but Johnny Majors is is really, really impressive. Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Johnson, John Gruden, Jackie Sherrill, Ron Zook, you had Lovey Smith, Dom Capers, Philip Fulmer, David Cutcliffe, Kevin Steele, many, many more. I mean, this is the Jimmy oh. Johnson one alone is 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 pretty good. And obviously, yeah. like that was very, very brief. That was during his time at Iowa State. But my gosh, I mean, there are so many people, Philip Fulmer, David Cutcliffe being two of the big ones that you're like, oh, that's where that that's where they kind of learned and, and were shown the ropes from. Right. And those guys obviously have gone on to do some some incredible things. But I always thought that'd be the coolest thing to have as a coach. Besides just like, oh, you can, like, we, you can brag about guys in the NFL. That's all well and good. But having a coaching tree, I'd love to just have a big picture yeah. in my office where you have you, you physically have like the, the drawing of the tree and then yeah. like all the different you know coaches on different branches. That might be a little bit too like – too egotistical but no but that's, a, that's also a good recruiting tool oh it's a great recruiting tool yeah. to be able to get you know top assistants and whatnot and i'm sure at, at some point or another that worked in johnny major's favor to yeah. be like hey look at all these different guys who've gone on to you know not just not only be part of great teams that i have but to become head coaches Dude, so think about very very impressive scott cochran's coaching tree it's just good think, oh man it's, it's the best Probably, I mean, it's up there for the best that we've ever seen from a strength Probably, coach. Probably, yeah. Right? It's got to be. Um, was there anything that you didn't know slash forgot about until recently? I just that Notre Dame was 2-8 and eight and that that <laughs> Paul Horning wasn't that good of a football player in college. And he was good. It's just, it's, we're, we're it talking just, about what he... Go ahead. If he was, okay, so, like, he's a, he's a very good football player. Like, that, I'm not, I'm not sure. going to sit here and say that he wasn't. I think this was this was a little bit of like a if he was thought of as um, as a tailback, and instead of a quarterback and what he's listed as, or if we're like, oh, he's a safety, but he also kind of moonlighted as a quarterback, even yeah. though he was taking the snaps directly. I think it'd be different talking about him in that three to thirteen TD to INT ratio. I just I think it'd be different. Sure, I I just when you look when usually when we look at like. 
Heisman finals, it's like, man, whoever got second got screwed. But in this case, it's like who got second, third, fifth, all seemingly got screwed out of the Heisman over this guy. And then and then you read the stuff like, so Heisman, Heisman.com had this to say. As a senior, he, the golden boy carried the ball 94 times for 420 yards, completed blah, 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 for three touchdowns. It doesn't say 13 interceptions. For a 53.2 completion percentage, uh, had 1,337 total yards, which ranked second nationally. He accounted for more than half the Irish scoring and converted 67 times on either third and or fourth down as a junior and senior combined. The award wasn't given to him as a junior. It like just the 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 actual words that are written about him. And uh, listen, that's time, the official Heisman website. That's, that's the, the official Heisman, Heisman website. website. Then you go and talk about this other thing. Like Horning finished fifth in the Heisman voting in '55. This is good. You, you're gonna love this. Okay, Fit, this is an actual sentence. Finished fifth in the '55 voting behind winner Hopalong Cassidy of Ohio State, swivel-hipped Jim Swink of TCU, and <laughs> Navy's George Welch, later coach of the Middies and Virginia. Don't forget Earl Morale of Michigan State, too. Notre Dame had its best publicist ever, Charlie Callahan. And he, what did he say? He loaded his weapons for a Heisman campaign uh, for Horning. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much what it did. He, he, he just, none of the numbers are that great. And it, it actually says, Michigan State Spartans rising as a threat to the hegemony? I don't even know what that word is. H-E-G-E-M-O-N, whatever. Um waltzed into Notre Dame Stadium and thrashed the Irish 47 to 14. Of course, nothing that threw Charlie Callahan, the publicist, off his course. And the following week, a relatively new publication challenging the role of Sport Magazine, uh, Paul Horning was on its cover. That was Sports Illustrated. The following week recorded the first ever instance of the Sports Illustrated jinx. Bro, I'll stop you right there. It's not a jinx. It just happens to y'all every single week. <laughs> it says, Sports Illustrated jinx. The following Saturday, Horning and the Irish were shut out and throttled 40 to nothing by Oklahoma. That's not a jinx. That's what happened to y'all every single week. I, it's, it's just, it, 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 Jim Brown was having a fine career at Syracuse, but do not be deceived. Brown was, in some eyes, a great professional football player of all time, but his dominance had not yet emerged while he was at Syracuse. Syracuse was a tad obscure in 1956 without the pedig- football pedigree of a pit. I, I just, I, it's just mind-blowing. I just don't get it. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I, it's not even, like, it's not even like, specifically about the race thing because Brown finished fifth. How did the people that finished behind Horning not finish ahead of Horning? Can we workshop a new character for you? In <laughs> Hopalong Cassidy. Yes. Yes. Swivel hip Jim exact- Swink. <laughs> I like Hop Hopalong McGee would work, I uh, think, really well. So Scuffy McGee. <laughs> I just it really does bother me because it's like it, you know, we looked at this last year. We looked at this last year and um and, and during Joe Joe Burrow's Heisman speech, Paul Horning was on the stage. As he gets to come back every single year as a as a member of the Heisman fraternity. Don't hate on. Paul I'm not gonna. Ha- I'm not gonna hate on the picture. The picture. It's, you should Google the picture. It's worth a Google. Um, but but it's just it bothers me that like there's so many people that get to be a part of this fraternity that really don't deserve to be. And it's it's odd that we put so much emphasis on this award. It's it's the most famous award in all of sports. It's it's like the most famous individual award in all of sports. More so than any MVP award, more so than the Cy Young, any of that kind of crap. It's the most famous individual mm-hmm. award in all sports. And and you think of how many people that have won it that weren't deserving. This isn't 13 interceptions. Well, he couldn't have thrown it to himself there. Well, I don't actually, I don't know. Oh, Hopalong Cassidy was doing it to himself the year before at Ohio State. 
Whatever, dude. I'm over it. The Pro Football Focus Advanced Analytics actually said that he had... <laughs> Is that real? He had less tur- less turnover-worthy throws uh, than what God. the numbers indicated. So, you know, Jeez. they obviously knew knew all that yeah. stuff back then. Um, do you want to share where you stand on this? Besides, besides the obvious... And, and we're both in agreement that Paul Horning did not deserve yeah. to win. Here's maybe a better question for you. Before we get into whether like who you would have had at number one, how far down the list would you have had Paul Horning? He would have been. He wouldn't have been top five. He, he would. He would listen. There is, there is. If Johnny Majors got in with 108 carries and 549 yards and seven touchdowns, that means John Arnett, Arnett of Southern Cal, who had 99 carries for 625 yards and over a yard more per average with six touchdowns, he deserves to be higher than Horning. Uh, then you look at the other quarterback. I don't, I'm not gonna go, I don't know how many pancake blocks Jim Parker from the Ohio State offensive lineman had at eight. But His John film's Bro- pretty good. you got to really break it down. <laughs> John Brody <laughs> had more yards passing and more touchdowns. Uh, he had 12 touchdowns. He did have 14 interceptions. That's still better than 3-13. to 13. By the way, John Brody, least 1950s name ever. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, he, he definitely sounds like he like walked off the set in 90210. What's up, dude? John Brody. Um, 40 years too early. 40 years too early. So I would say one, two, three, four, five. He would have been six at best. And, and I tell you what, I'll tell you where I stand on it. Jim Brown, I'm assuming, was the best player in college football. But based off of this and what we have, just as the way it finished, I would have given it, I think, at the time, if we're, if like, this sounds weird, but if like, if, if, if you're, if you're looking, if you're asking me now, in 2020, Chris Marler, who's the best player in college football, I don't know anything about Tommy McDonald. I don't. I'm assuming Jim Brown was a better player than everybody else on this stupid list. I'm giving it to Jim Brown. If you're asking me as, hey, Chris, and you might be a racist voter in 1956, I'm still not giving it to Paul Horning. I might not give it to Jim Brown. But I'm probably giving it to Tommy McDonald, who had 12 touchdowns, one less than Brown, averaged a, a yard more per carry than Brown, had 853 yards, and oh, by the way, was playing on a team that just finished its third straight undefeated season. So I don't know. It's, it's between him, Majors, or Brown. They're all more deserving than stupid Paul Horning. So, Marler. <laughs> so, Marler, I'm going to ask you to be racist for a second. Okay, this Put is Put yourself weird. in some racist shoes. Then I would have given it to Tommy and- McDonald. So you would have given it to Tommy McDonald it, over Johnny Majors. And this is a weird thing to say right now, and I hope you guys can understand this is not like... This is a weird-sounding thing. But I'm, I'm saying, yes, if I was a... This is, this is so messed up. But like, say it. But, but we'll you know, clip but, it. But you guys, yeah. But you guys understand what, I'm, what the whole point of it is. Like, if I'm a, if I'm a journalist or media member or someone the Heisman vote in 1956, and I am have an inkling of any sort of, of of prejudice, I am voting for Tommy McDonald. This is weird. Okay. I don't like it. Yeah, that's a weird sentence. I, I paused for an extra second at the end just to make sure that we had that silence. Yeah. To be able to get a clip. Of you We're saying. not clipping it. If I was racist, <laughs> <laughs> I thought about Speaking this this weekend. By the way, we could we could cut this out, but uh, I thought about that. Like if we ever if we ever go back, I love Jordan Rogers. He's one of our boys now. But if we ever have an issue with Jordan Rogers, we could just get that clip of him saying how much he loves Jake Fromm as a person. Yeah, perfect. That'd be that'd be great. I've never said anything like that on this podcast. What is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Anyway, okay. A few things that I, that I want to get into before before I present kind of where I stand on all this. Yeah. 
Jim Brown and the race dynamics played a part not only in him not winning the Heisman Trophy, yeah, but in Johnny Majors not winning it as well. And that's part of why I think this is very relevant to make him um, oh God, sort of a, about that. a co-star of this conversation. You would have teams still at this time, teams like Georgia Tech, who wouldn't host black players in their stadium. 1953, Georgia Tech is trying to play against Notre Dame. Notre Dame has its first black player that year. They're like, hey, we can't play this game in Atlanta. Let's play it instead in South Bend. 1955, Sugar Bowl. You have Georgia Tech supposed to be playing against Pitt. They've never had a black player in the history of the Sugar Bowl. And then Bobby Greer comes along and amidst much, much controversy, is finally able to play in the Sugar Bowl. The governor Maryland. of the state of Georgia tried to make sure that Georgia Tech was not going to play that game or that kid yep. wasn't allowed to play. And if you ever, if you know anything about this game, this is on the, the SEC um, Saturdays in the South thing. If you ever see this, there's actual footage of it. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen like, not called in a football game. Do you know what I'm talking about? They played him. He was a receiver, and they lost 7-6. They called pass interference on a play yeah. that was like, what? It, it was... It was or maybe they didn't call pass interference. I think it was they, they called pass interference. It was, and that set up the win for Georgia Tech, and that's the only reason they even won that game. Ugh. The ref apparently afterwards said it was just an honest mistake. He's not a racist or anything. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Sure. All right. Okay. Okay, man. Um, so you have that at play. Uh, Maryland doesn't even have – Maryland finally in 1963, first ever program to have a black player that was based south of the Mason-Dixon, which right. people forget Maryland is. Uh, Daryl Hill was able to break the color barrier there. So keep in mind all of those different things. And understand that Tennessee and Syracuse were two programs who were super regional. Yeah. Like more regional than we even realized. Neither one of them, under today's you know current directions, which I realized then were probably a little bit different, but... Neither one of those teams had to drive more than five hours and 45 minutes to an opposing team's stadium. That is how close they played to home, where if you're trying to win a national award, which the Heisman very much is, seems like a pretty important thing to be able to do. Especially, especially, and I cannot emphasize this enough, if you have another candidate in this group, and you know I say that loosely because we say Paul Horning, maybe not as worthy of a candidate, who plays a national schedule. Notre Dame that year went to Dallas, played against SMU, went to Baltimore, played against Navy, went to Pitt, played against the Panthers, went to Iowa, went to USC right before the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I brought up the point earlier about how he scored. Paul Horning scored all 20 yeah. points in that pre-Heisman game against USC, won all the West Coast voters that way. From 1954 to 1956, Johnny Majors never played a game outside the Southeast region. Yeah. Why? Racism. Yeah. Tennessee's 1956 schedule with these schools, they play against these schools, were so far away from wow. having their first black player. That's Auburn, first black honor. Auburn, first black player in 1970. Duke, first black player in 1972. Alabama, 1970. Maryland, 1963. UNC, 1967. Georgia Tech, 1970. Ole Miss, 1971. Kentucky, 1967. Vanderbilt, 1971. Majors didn't play against any black players. And actually, the only black team, that only integrated team that Jim Brown faced was very early in the season. I think I'm pretty, it was Pitt. And right. that's it. That's So we're talking about a very, very different time in that regard, but why 
they were so regionalized was because they couldn't just go and play a nat yeah. uh, national schedule in the same way that Notre Dame could, where, yeah, you get Notre Dame on the schedule. They're the team that was on TV. They're the team yeah. that's got a national reputation. They're a big deal. People know Notre Dame. Very, very different to try Notre and do Dame. that at a place like Notre like, I Dame. I got you. I got you, yeah. yeah. Very, very different to try and do that for Syracuse and Tennessee. If you're not going to be willing to, to to break the color barrier, kind of limits what you can do from a scheduling standpoint. And that's not to defend Tennessee or anything like that, but understanding the regionalization of this whole deal and why so many people knew more about Paul Horning yeah. than knew about the likes of Johnny Majors or Jim Brown. So I bring all that up. It's really good because. Stuff. In my opinion, that's why neither of them won. And yeah. you could say racism at the root of those things. Regionalization was the the unfortunate result for both of those players. And Majors almost won. I would have agreed with Johnny Majors and given it to Jim Brown. Okay. And I say that knowing that Tennessee fans, y'all have every reason in the world to be upset yeah. that Paul Horning won that award over Johnny Majors. Should not have happened. No doubt whatsoever. But I agree with Johnny Majors that Jim Brown was more worthy of it for a few reasons. One of which being Jim Brown faced twice as many top 25 teams as Johnny Majors. He faced four compared to two for Johnny Majors. He averaged a full yard per carry better than Johnny Majors as well. 6.2 yards per carry from Jim Brown in those sets back then. Not an easy no. thing to do necessarily. Um, but somebody with his size, and if you've seen the clips of him running over dudes and running around people... It just didn't look fair. He had 17 more scrimmage yards over the course of the year. That's essentially a wash. He had three more touchdowns as well, 15 compared to 12, if you include the passing stuff. And he also had three interceptions that year compared to two career interceptions for Johnny Majors. There was nothing that Johnny Majors could do that Jim Brown couldn't. And right. if your argument is, well, he was a more proven passer, if we're going off the eight games that Johnny Majors actually played in, where he averaged 7.5 attempts or whatever, and he completed 4.5 passes a game, well, he essentially completed four more passes per game than Jim Brown. So if that's your argument of why Johnny Majors is definitely better than Jim Brown. Right. I don't think it's a very good one. But here's what I come back to. And this is the trump card. This is what beats everything. Anything statistically that I just said right there. If Paul Horning is black on a 2 and 18, oh, there is yeah. no chance, a 0, 0.0000 chance that he even sniffs the Heisman trophy. If anything, he's getting more blame for being the guy who's doing everything for the yeah. team that can't win a game. Right. That's why can't he do everything? Well, I mean, I'll tell you what. If he would just pass the damn ball, then it wouldn't be. Yeah, that would have definitely. You know, I'll tell you what. If we channel the, the racist, uh, what do you call it again, reporter, that's exactly what they would have said. If Jim Brown's white, he wins the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. Without a doubt. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And so should, should the color of someone's skin have prevented them from winning the Heisman Trophy, we're able to look back on that 64 years from now, from then and look at it with a much, much different well, perspective. But it says so much, too, that College Football 150 ranked him number, number one. one. And that, over the course of time, and, and number one compared to the 150 years worth of college football players yeah, that well, we've ever also talked had about. Tebow at 77, so let's not right. take it too seriously. I, yeah, I, I will I get say, that. That, and this is, you guys, have, if you listen to the pod before, especially when it comes to Heisman Trophy stuff, my biggest thing, my biggest conspiracy theory thing, has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with teams who finish a certain record or not. Has everything it's to religion. do with how much? Oh. Yes, it's all religion. 
Um, <laughs> politics. So it's, it's all politics. No, it's, it's solely based off of how the media twists and, and kind of can um, promote some players or, or put them on their, their platform or, or, you know, kind of give them a, a, a boost when they need it versus when they don't. And a lot of that is when they're on TV. And so when you say the thing about Jim, and I agree with that initially when you said it, but I think I might be wrong. Jim Brown, if he's white, he wins the Heisman. I don't know if he does win the Heisman if he's white strictly because he wasn't on TV at all. No one saw him. Oklahoma was Why on wasn't TV. he on TV? I don't know. Is it because he's black? Well, I, I didn't think about that, Connor. Jeez. <laughs> it's been a I mean, lot of fun today. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's tough to put them – to just say like, oh yeah, Jim Brown, if you put a white face on him, if he had finished fifth in the Heisman yeah. in the previous year, all those different things and that. how that could have shaped public perception. Yeah, in my opinion, you look at that and he would have more than lived up to the hype. It was That's almost fair. like, yeah, Paul Horning, whatever. Like he put up he put up terrible numbers, but he's the golden boy. Yeah. And he's somebody who we thought coming into the year was going to be really good. And he's actually, you know, he's just doing everything he possibly can for a bad Notre Dame team. Right. They're running into some good competition. You can make every excuse in the world for him. Meanwhile, what you what what excuses would have, would Jim Brown have been able to get away with? Oh yeah, that's a really then? good point. Nothing. By the way, and it just just to show you the difference between how it's handled then versus now. This this always cracks me up because like you see like the the winners of the past, they're in these like it almost looks like a roast. Like they're in these massive. Um, it's at the New York. It's the New York Downtown Athletic Club. But there's like rows of people, and there's like the stage. It's like three levels high, and you have all these different people behind you, and it's it's this very odd setup. Whereas like now it's like here's a stage podium, here's one person, and we'll bring you up one by one. They said when Hornig won, Horning won. Uh, let me see where I, where I have it here. Um, this, this is an actual true story. He said, on December 4th, 1956, Horning received a message from Coach Callahan to come into his office. When Paul, or not, not Coach, Callahan was the PR guy. Callahan came into his office. When Paul arrived, Charlie handed him the phone and told Horning, told Horning to tell his mom that he had won the Heisman. That's it. That was they used the to bring thing. him to New York. They used to bring him to New York after. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So he still, he still got to take the trip and all that okay. stuff, too. And that was, I, I'm pretty sure that was, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I, I haven't seen the movie in probably like eight, nine years or something like that. Uh, but Ernie Davis going to New York and accepting the Heisman Trophy and, and yeah. you know, what a big deal that was. But I'm, I, I'm pretty sure he also said, Paul Horning said, yeah, that his mom actually ended up enjoying the trip more than he did. Yeah, so I'm sure. I think, I think they still actually got to go to New York and all that stuff, but... It's, it's a shame that an award that we hold in such a high regard, such a high regard, and it means so much for the fraternity of it, could come down to looks. And did the fact that Johnny Majors was 165 pounds and not an NFL prospect and not the golden boy yeah. who was recruited by Bear Bryant once upon a time like Paul Horning was when Bear Bryant was at Kentucky, did that factor into how Johnny Majors was perceived? Yeah, you know what? It probably was. And that's yeah. a very different thing, obviously, than we're talking about racism and prejudices throughout the right. country, a very different set of circumstances. But this year specifically is such a good reminder of like, you should really probably look a little bit deeper yeah. than what's than than what your your eyes want you to see. What the cover of Sports Illustrated is telling you about someone, and I'm not just saying this because Paul Horning played for the Packers and he was right. number one overall pick, and he's the reason that they're called Title Town. I'm not just saying yeah. that as a bitter Bears well, fan, not at all. Good too, but I mean, so. <laughs> 
But I just think that it's it's fascinating to look back on this because we have such a different understanding of it now and, yeah. and what, what we value, what we think is important, and the type of things that would have swayed us that obviously were interpreted in a very different way with that mid-1950s context. And if you, if you don't think that this is like something that we can skew ourselves with, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this today. This wasn't a debate. This was like a history lesson. It was pretty cool. A little bit. But, and I love, I love the history part of it. I don't like that you had all the facts, and like I'd like to, you know, <laughs> next time I'll make up my own. I think let's do 1941 Bama next time, but like from the positive side. Ooh, let's, yeah, let's like spin zone. PR. <laughs> yeah, let's do spin zone. Let's spin write, zone uh, down south. That's that's the next one right now. Yes, um, yes. No, but, so it's funny, though, when you bring up, like, if depending on who your team is, because I, I think you could easily make the statement or, or case that, that – uh, Johnny Major should have won, and so they have Tennessee has two players for for a program with that much prestigious history. And then you look into it, it's like when they should have had a Heisman Trophy winner, maybe shouldn't have had all those national championships, but they still have a great history. They're a college ball blue blood, and I think they always will be. But if you if you think it's not something, and we have like let our own like biases like kind of uh, is that how you say it? Is it biases? Bias no, biases. Biases. Bias bias no, it's not like uh, that. Not like that. <laughs> so, but there's a Penn State website called Black Shoe Diaries, and this is something that came out in 2013. I saw uh, that too. You said, yeah, it was pretty interesting. And it said EA Sports NCAA Football 13 sponsored this. And they said, you know, go back and look at who, what Heisman Trophy winners were um, the ones that shouldn't have won the most. And a lot of you, I don't even know if you'll even know these names. But since, since this is obviously, um, hold on, which player did not win the Heisman Trophy was the most deserving of the award? He said, a lot of you will say, cough, cough, Vince Young, cough, cough. And that's very well deserved. Since this is obviously a Penn State blog, I'm sure many of you will share the opinion that either Kajana Carter or Kerry Collins should have been named the 1994 Heisman Trophy winner over Colorado 2,000-yard rusher Rashawn Salam. Rest in peace. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's interesting. He goes, and this, we could have easily written a story about them, but I, as I said, I love history. It's funny to me because I would have never thought that Kajana Carter should have won over Sean Salami. He had 2,000 yards in a season in 1994 in a year where we had some of the most memorable Heisman Trophy finals ever. Steve McNair, Warren Sapp. Somehow, Jay Barker was on the list. Anyway. Steve McNair. Just, I know. Steve McNair was so good. Dude, those oh. videos of him, I remember like, it was like old school ESPN when it was just purple and gold. Everything was purple and gold, like the, the, the highlights and graphics and everything. And they would come in and be like, don't forget Steve McNair from Alcorn State, and he's like, which ironically enough, their colors are purple and gold. But he would just be rolling out to his right, and then just heave a pass that was like, it didn't seem like it was going to end. It was like a seventy-yard bomb, and then just hit somebody right in stride. Anyway, it's a shame he couldn't have played quarterback in the SEC. Real shame. Yeah. 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 All right, this has been fun. Uh, we hopefully did not upset too too many Tennessee fans who. Yeah. I. I, I, I like Johnny Majors for, like the, from the career standpoint as somebody who was kind of in his weight class as well. Yeah. And I love hearing the stories about him, and I love seeing all this stuff come out. Ryan McGee wrote a great, great story on ESPN.com that everybody should go read about him and what he really. meant in his life. Gosh, Ryan McGee does this job a lot better than I do. I think about that every once in a while. I'm glad we don't share the same job. <laughs> anyway, um, be good to each other, guys. Be good. Be good. Yeah, um, I don't know what we're doing just yet for. Oh, I'll let um, you know tonight. It just meant more. Oh, yeah. All right. It's, I get to pick this time. That's scary. It's gonna that's be a really Bama scary. game, and and it's gonna be good. I'll let you know tonight. So remember, remember when I told you I'm like, hey, I'll give you a Bama game to do at a later date. Yeah, it's this and you're like, date. no, I'm not waiting. We're doing no, you know why? I'm, you know why I'm not waiting? Because <laughs> this weekend I was like trying to. I, I saw two thousand. 
It was like on SCC Rewind. They had on on SCC Network, and it was like the '82 Bama. They had the Iron Bowl. They had that one. They had they had the Kick Six. They had the 2013 or 2012 game against A&M. That's all in a span of 24 hours. They had all three of those losses. So we're gonna pick something. I'm telling you, I think it's it's probably gonna be 2012 Tennessee or 2012 Auburn. Which I'm pretty sure they won like 49 nothing on both. We'll, we'll let you know. We'll let you know soon. It'll be good. Don't do the last iron. Don't do the last iron bowl that Chiswick was in. If I have I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm thinking of 2013. Um, I'm thinking 20, 20, uh, 2009 Tennessee as Rocky Block or 2013 A&M. And I think 2013 A&M is actually more interesting. That's one that never gets brought up for some reason. But it's a 49 to 42 game where I think Manziel was still there his second year and was hyped up all offseason. I don't know how that game is never shown outside of the fact that Bama wins and people hate watching Bama win because it was, again, 49-42. to 42. It was an incredible game. It just didn't stop. I think, anyway, I, I've never panicked so much in my life during a game in that game. So. Some would say it's like uh, 2019 uh, LSU-Bama. We'll That's talk to you guys later. You guys have a good one. <laughs> talk to you guys soon.